Welcome to the weekly podcast of Science and the City, the public gateway to the New York Academy of Sciences, online at scienceandthecity.org. Today is Friday, March 5th, 2010. I'm Alana Rangi. These days, global warming is having all sorts of side effects. One I'm sure you've heard of before is that melting sea ice is changing the habitat and habits of polar bears in the Canadian north. It turns out, however, that there are also some changes happening to the grizzly bear population. For the first time since 1989, grizzly bears have been turning up in northern Manitoba, near Hudson Bay, an area home to polar bears. Whether this is a result of warmer temperatures or decreased hunting pressures, scientists aren't sure. Robert Rockwell, or Rocky as he goes by, is a scientist at the American Museum of Natural History, and he's also the lead author of a recent article observing these population changes. I sat down with him last week to learn more about what he's finding and what it might mean. My name is Robert Rockwell. I work at the Museum of Natural History in New York. My main research is in an area called population ecology. I worry about how many there are of things, I worry about whether those populations are growing and whether those populations are declining. And a lot of what I work with are uh, birds. But because you're in, I've been in the Arctic and I've been there for many years, I also worry about the numbers of polar bears, caribou, wolves, and so on and so forth. And in part of doing that work is flying transects to get good estimates of numbers. And it's in doing those estimates or those transects over the 40 years that uh, two years ago we ran across a grizzly bear. A grizzly bear where Rocky only expected to see polar bears. Polar bears and grizzly bears are two very different species, despite sharing many of the same physical characteristics. Being no bear expert myself, I got Rocky to tell me a little bit more about both. Polar bears sort of have a schizophrenic lifestyle. When the sea ice is frozen, they're out on it hunting seals unless they're a pregnant female. Pregnant female polar bears dig dens, and in the southern part of their distribution, those dens are in peat banks along the shores of rivers and lakes. Further north, those dens are in uh, snow banks out on the ice pack. Non-pregnant females, females that cubs from the previous year or the previous two years, and all the males are out on the ice all winter. In the southern part of their distribution, like Hudson Bay, near Churchill, Manitoba, where I work, the sea ice goes away, and it always has. And it's out for anywhere between three and five months during the summer and early fall. And the bears all have to come ashore, so they live a terrestrial existence. Grizzly bears are exclusively a terrestrial critter. There once was a population in central and northern Manitoba called the prairie population of grizzly bears, but that was extirpated for fur and meat and stuff back in the late 17 and early 1800s. This other population of barren ground grizzlies was in the Rocky Mountains, and those populations did well. They're still doing well. And as the populations grew, the bears dispersed further north, because grizzly bears don't like a lot of company, and they moved north into the Yukon, and populations still were doing well. So you have some limits as to how far north you can go and not have to live off the ice. So they sort of made a right turn and moved all the way across the Northwest Territories and none of it until they hit the shores of Hudson Bay. And that was probably 10, 15 years ago was when I first had friends in Arviat 
which is one of the uh, Inuit communities in Nunavut, start telling me about having brown bears and how they're smaller and how they're a nuisance and they come into the villages and so on and so forth. Well, once you get to Hudson Bay, again, you have two choices. If you make a left turn to go north, you're back in the ice world. If you make a right turn, you go down the coast of Hudson Bay, you ultimately hit the town of Churchill. If you go a little bit south of Churchill and then go east across the river, you wind up in Wapas National Park. Now, except for in the summer when the polar bears are on shore, Wapas National Park, the next biggest predator is a wolf. There are probably 7,000 caribou, uh, five to 10,000 moose, berries, fish, nesting geese, lemmings, all the sorts of things grizzly bears like to eat. And it's sort of a happy hunting ground for them. Rocky first became aware of an increasing number of grizzlies in this territory a few years ago. He was doing one of his regular flyovers of the area that he normally uses to study and count bird species. One of the things that we do to try to estimate the number of nesting geese and swans and all sorts of critters is we fly transects in a helicopter along the coastline of the Hudson Bay. We fly about a kilometer inland and fly all the way down from Cape Churchill to York Factory, which is about 120, 130 miles and then turn around and fly back. And what we do is we count everything we see. And we do that four or five times a year. We don't do it more often than that because helicopter expenses are $1,200 an hour plus fuel. And that trip is about four hours. So you don't do it too often. But we try to do it four, maybe five times a year. And we've done it quite consistently. Now that's important because if you want to try to draw conclusions about something increasing, you want to make sure that the amount of time you spend looking for it hasn't changed. Um, Lots of people now are reporting seeing bobcats in Redding, Connecticut, where I live. Why? Because everybody's going out and looking for them. Now it's not that there's more bobcats. There's probably the same number of bobcats that have been there for 10 years. It's just people are looking more. So we've very consistently flown these transects looking for them. And we also interviewed other people that have been out in this same area. It's a remote area, hard to get to, not too many people go there. But even with those, we had to interview them because a lot of the reports of grizzly bears were, well, I saw a brown thing running away from me. How do you know it wasn't a moose? So we interviewed people and we eliminated a lot of observations and we came up with ones that we were convinced, the we being uh, myself, Linda Gormazano, who's one of my graduate students, and Daryl Hedman, who's a Manitoba conservation biologist. All of us have experience with these guys. And when we were convinced they were grizzly bears, it went into our little list. And what we found is that since there were no sightings that were confirmed or acceptable before 1996, despite the fact I've been flying these surveys and looking since 1969, then it started increasing to the point that in 2008 there were three, in 2009 there were four. Three of those were individuals that I saw over about a three or four day period and they were very different animals because they were far enough apart and they looked very different. So we had this really good indication that there are grizzlies and that their numbers seem to be going up. Nine grizzlies have been seen in the park between 1996 and 2009, and four of the bears were spotted last summer. While nine doesn't sound like a lot, in an area where sightings were non-existent before, it's significant for the habitat. In addition, grizzlies, like polar bears, are a protected species in Canada which means that hunting pressures on both species have decreased significantly and might be the cause for the bear's stronger population and expanding territory.
Rocky and his team can't say for sure what is driving the bears to this region, but they definitely seem like they're here to stay, says Rocky. One of the things is the grizzly population in other places is very healthy, it's increasing, and these guys are dispersing out. They have found a place that has got lots of food. When we first submitted this paper, one of the reviewers said, well, what you're really seeing are just the odd sub-adult male wandering down and he'll go back to Nunavut for the winter. And I didn't really believe that. And when we see guys as fat as some of the ones we've seen, it's sort of hard to believe that they've walked all that way, now they're going to eat, then they're going to walk all that way back. So I asked a couple of the First Nation elders, this is the York Factory First Nation, who are people of the Cree Nation. I asked a couple of the elders who, I guess it's a little almost sad for me, the three of us were young men together in Churchill. They're now called elders and I'm just called old. But I asked them, what do you think about this? And they just looked at me as if I was sort of crazy and said, you know, you're a bear. You've come to a place where there's really good food. Why would you leave? So I think what it means is that the bears are there to stay. They've got a nice place. It's a food resource. And they're going to be there. They're now part of the scenery. I think that one of the points we wanted to make in the, in the article was and this was partly at the request of the National Park, is to try to put together a list of all the possible problems that could arise from this new visitor. I ask Rocky whether this new grizzly presence will mean anything for the people who live in the Churchill region. Polar bears can be a problem. Um, in Churchill, for example, they have a thing called the Polar Bear Alert Program, which is a very highly organized uh, system where if you see a bear within so many miles or kilometers of town, you call and they decide whether to go out and trap the bear and remove it and fly it out and get it away from town. They even have a polar bear jail where they put some that are nuisances. Grizzly bears are a little bit more of a problem because polar bears are sort of like a, a skittish raccoon. You can do a standoff with a polar bear, which I've done many times, and as long as you sort of back off a little bit, they'll usually go away and leave you alone. You probably look like you're not enough food for the effort. Grizzly bears, on the other hand, just sort of have this nasty streak where they just want to mess with you. They also have very long claws, so they can dig through the side of people, people's houses a lot better than polar bears. And they're just not quite as timorous around people as the polar bears are. This type of human-bear interaction is rare, however. And interestingly enough, there may actually be some benefits for both polar bears and grizzlies when it comes to sharing their territory. One of the more intriguing interactions is going to be that polar bears, try as they may, cannot outrun adult caribou. Linda and I watched them try. Can't do it. They can split them off from the herd, but they can't outrun them. Grizzly bears can, wolves can, and we have seen polar bears, after a wolf kills a, a, a caribou, go over and basically chase the wolf away and claim the caribou. I'm quite sure that they will do the same with a grizzly bear. Grizzly kills a caribou, polar bear comes up, six to 800 pound grizzly has his dead caribou, 12 to 1400 pound male polar bear wants the caribou. I think we know how that's gonna end. Grizzly's gonna go catch a new caribou. So it'll actually open up a food resource for the polar bears. I also sort of think that the polar bears are, there's already reports out of the higher Arctic of polar bears figuring out how to catch Arctic char and things like that, because normally they don't fish, but they're doing that because they're coming ashore earlier. They're gonna see grizzly bears catching fish and they're gonna catch on to how that works real fast. 
So I think that there will be some sort of interspecific learning, if you will, or cultural transmission or something like that, whatever you want to call it, that I think will be very useful for the polar bears. But there may also be some not-so-nice side effects of sharing the same home as well. Grizzlies, as Rocky mentioned before, are more aggressive than polar bears, even though they're generally smaller. The only other interaction and the only one that, to me, has any possibility for concern is that grizzly bears, males and females, both den over winter. They sort of go into sort of a state of hibernation. It's not a full hibernation, but they sleep deeply. And they, female polar bears do the same thing, that are pregnant. All the rest of the polar bears are on the ice, but moms that are going to have new cubs are in these dens. In Wapas National Park, the only place to build a den are in these huge peat deposits. Uh, thousands of years of dead vegetation gathers up, gets incorporated into permafrost, gets exposed on cut banks of rivers and on lake edges, and the bears dig into that, sometimes four or five feet, sometimes 20 feet, and make these just wonderfully warm dens in the winter. Very nice, cool, mosquito-free places in the summer, I might add. Grizzly bears are going to have to use the same place, so they're going to be denning in the same area. Now, when they all come out in the spring within a few weeks of each other, you're going to have a mother polar bear with two or three cubs. Fiercest organism in the Arctic is a mom polar bear with cubs. However, she can't usually keep them all together. And the wolves typically will split off a cub and get it. And I'm guessing that the grizzlies could do the same sort of thing. And there's reports in the literature of grizzlies doing just that. There's even reports of grizzlies... Uh, depredating female polar bears that are in their dens because they grizzlies as I said they don't fully hibernate they sort of wake up they might get up they might come out of their den stretch look around and I'm sure if they smelled something good they would go investigate so I think there's a possibility for negative interaction that way how frequent it's going to be we're just going to have to see. Rocky is working with local naturalists on site to monitor the den situation. I was up in January. We actually went out to an area just to see if there was any sign of grizzly tracks around the dens. And uh, Nick Lunn, who's one of the the Canadian Wildlife Service biologists who's up there right now, is certainly looking. He goes out and actually looks at the dens and catches moms and cubs and tags them. And he's certainly very primed to see if there's any grizzly bears If you can find, they usually find the mom and cubs by tracking them from the helicopter. So grizzly tracks look very, very different than polar bear tracks. So they'll be able to see if this is starting to happen. And, you know, if that happens, then somebody's going to have to make some decisions about what to do. Which may actually be pretty hard. With their protected status, the polar bear-grizzly bear dynamic is a tricky one for scientists to figure out. In Canada, there's an office called the Species at Risk Office, the SARA Act. And I called the people at Sarah and got a hold of the biologist in charge of mammals. And I asked her, what's going to happen if a polar bear that is listed as special concern and a grizzly bear that's listed as special concern are in a situation where one of them could do damage to the other? And there was this long pause, and she said, you know, we, we haven't thought about those things yet. But I guess... They're of equal weight right now, so I'm not sure that you would legally be allowed to protect one by harming the other. But before anything like that happens is the time that we ought to be thinking about it. So while the two species might find themselves getting into more conflicts, Rocky says though it's unlikely to be the biggest side effect, we cannot forget about the possibility of romance. 
or in scientific terms, hybridization. You know, the favorite question is two years ago, three years ago on Banks Island, a hunter who had a permit to shoot a polar bear shot a thing that is now called either a pizzly bear or a growler bear. It was a hybrid. Um, and the DNA work has, has been done or is being done, and it's for sure a hybrid between a grizzly bear and a polar bear, which isn't real surprising. They're only 150,000 years apart. Um, I'm not sure which was the female. One of the things that's going to make this a really rare event, though, is that female polar bears come into estrus in February and March out on the ice when male grizzly bears are happily sleeping. Female grizzly bears are a little more than half the size of male polar bears, so a male polar bear confronting an estrus female grizzly bear, I'm really not sure what they would do. I'm interested in seeing. I'm interested in finding out. I think the most likely scenario would be a sub-adult male polar bear and a female grizzly who are about the same size happen upon each other when the female grizzly is in estrus and the subadult male polar bear is interested because unlike a lot of mammals, um, northern mammals and ursids in general go through a period where the male's testes uh, shrink down and recrudesce so that they're not functional all year. So it would also require that the male be not just interested but physically capable of doing something. So I think the idea of them hybridizing each other away is probably rather remote. But of course, it's the thing that everybody wants to watch for, and that would include me. Rocky's study was published in the most recent edition of the Canadian Field Naturalist. He and his team will continue to monitor the bear populations as they do their quarterly species count in the area. For Science in the City, I'm Alana Rangi. Thanks for listening. Science in the City is a non-profit program of the New York Academy of Sciences. This means that we need your continued support to keep bringing you this weekly podcast series, as well as the rest of the Science in the City program, like our events and our website. For more information on Academy membership or to donate to Science in the City today, log on to scienceandthecity.org slash donate. And as always, we would love your feedback on any of the programs you run here at Science in the City. Send us an email at scienceandthecity at nyas.org or you can leave us a voicemail at 212-298-8654. See you next week.